welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm one of this week's hosts, Eddie Webb, and with me are Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Dixie Cochran. Hello. And uh, this week we're going to do another one of our deep dives, this time into our upcoming book, Mummy the Curse, second edition. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be interesting because I actually don't know much about second edition. Um, I was involved in first edition to a degree, um, but I understand there's been some pretty substantial changes. So I actually come just relatively blind. Um, so I'm going to be learning as much as you guys are as we kind of talk about this. But I do know that um, uh, both Matthew and Nixie have been, had some really cool ideas early on. I remember hearing some of those and I was really excited about what little I heard. Um, so let's just kind of pardon the pun dive in um, <laughs> deeply <laughs> let's start with a shallow paddle okay <laughs> uh, and we'll see how comfortable we are with the deeper waters of of duet i understand they can get quite murky yes <laughs> that is that is true um so i guess kind of then starting out of the shallow end as it were um what's kind of the high level pitch of mummy the curse in general do you want to feel this dixie <laughs> I I can do parts of it. You're probably better at it than I am. I, I've already heard your uh, video for the Kickstarter. But <laughs> <laughs> so, which was fun, by the way. People oh, were going to enjoy that. Uh, so, my Mummy the Curse is, I mean, at its heart, about mummies who are all originally from a place called Duat, which we talked about before. Um, the kind of conceit of the second edition is that mummies are not only deathless and, you know, always living as long as some part of them is still around and their cults are around and things like that, but they're also timeless. So instead of waking up in a specific order, um, they wake up kind of out of order. So a mummy that was, you know, created 6,000 years ago might wake up in the modern day and then also might wake up in Victorian England and then might wake up in 1500 South America. And every time they're going to not have their memory at first. And then as they regain their memory, they get less powerful until they sleep again so that's kind of the the high level pitch of what's going on and there's all kinds of stuff about dealing with your judges dealing with your cults dealing with other humans um, and that's that's stuff they'll probably dig deeper into throughout the thing yeah and, and as dixie said the um the, uh, you could argue that mummies exist primarily in duat this land of the dead right uh, more so than they do in our waking world and the reason being is because, uh, again, they are deathless beings. They are timeless beings. They are not bound to their physical body, their sahu. Mm-hmm. They are consciousnesses, uh, to put it in a very simplified way, that, uh, again, this is no doubt something a lot of mummy scholars would debate. Some are <laughs> going to assume that the judges place that consciousness in the time they are most needed. Uh, but, of course, there are other ways for mummies to wake up that aren't directly related to the judges. So then the question rises, well, how are you waking up out of sync unless there's something directing you to do so? Mm. Um, I think, uh, for me, at that high level, uh, and it's something we do with almost all of our games, we look at theme and mood. And one of those central themes of Mummy, which I think is, I guess, similar in some ways to Mage the Awakening, but not, is mystery. Every single chronicle of Mummy the Curse has a mystery within it. And at its simplest, it's, I do not know who I am, where I am, when I am, or why I am here. And part of unraveling that chronicle is unraveling the mystery, and hopefully you have solved the mystery before it is time to descend, and maybe you can even do something about it uh, before you are summoned back to Duat and have to undergo various horrible trials. Uh, so a few, a few times you both have mentioned uh, a Duat, so kind of talk a little bit. Is Duat the same as the underworld, as in, like, say, Geist, or is it different? Is it a different name what's the uh, it's different uh, and we go into this little in the book uh, the so the, the land of the dead in uh, i guess there's lots of ephemeral planes in chronicles of darkness and the good thing is they aren't necessarily in conflict with each other like world of darkness cosmology uh, mm. so you have the shadow you have the twilight uh, you have the underworld you have duat you have the abyss and a whole bunch of other things from different games hell you could even throw the hedge in there if you really want because these things and infrastructure don't really exist 
in our mundane, ordinary world. Mm -hmm. Um, And really how connected somewhere like Duat is to the land of the dead, the underworld, as presented in Geist the Sin Eaters, is down to storyteller fear. We don't want to intrinsically link the two because not Mm -hmm. everyone is playing both games. and We don't want people to have to be informed from two different areas. But the links are there. It's something I am very keen on as a big fan of crossover in general, that there's plenty of signposts you can follow if you want to say that uh, Duat is just a uh, black hole away. You know, you just have to jump down this well when you're in the underworld and you will enter Duat. Or you just have to walk through this portal uh, and, you know, you have fallen farther than you ever have before. Uh, But there's um, a slightly different cosmology to what's going on in Mummy, and it is largely based around the individuals, the entities that actually created the mummies in the first place, that Duat may be essentially their own pocket plane, that it's an afterlife they have crafted for their eternal servants to essentially be imprisoned in until it's time to release them. Uh, So it may not be an underworld at all. Uh, So yeah, it's again part of that mystery that it can exist within its own little sphere or you can interlace it with the other Chronicles of Darkness games pretty easily. Hmm, Okay. Um, and that, that does seem like it's consistent with the the kind of Chronicles of Darkness design ideology, the idea that there's lots of different options you can use or not use as your respective Chronicles indicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that I, I noticed has changed uh, even early on in second edition, because when we worked on first edition, I know uh, uh, the idea was that um, we wanted to play with time a little bit, the sense that you had these kind of interrupted adventures and and, and memory was a big piece of, of the first edition. Um, but in, in your pitch, Dixie, you, you talked about how actually you can go through time non-chronologically. Um, so can you talk more about that and why that maybe why that decision was made? Uh, that was something I think Matthew pitched early on, didn't you? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, but well, yeah, we spoke about it at length. Well, the the yeah, sorry. <laughs> there's like there's like a lot from the original that like we kind of talked about back and forth. But in in the original mummy, which which was very cool, they they had what are called I think Sothic turns. That's right. And it was a very specific length of time. It's like 1400 years or something. And, I'm sorry, yeah, I don't remember. 1461. And the only reason I know that is because I was on an interview earlier this week where I said 1421 and then read a forum <laughs> post about an hour later and it had the other time and I thought shit. Now I seem like a mummy noob. No no one's going to take me seriously as the developer of this game. Ruined. You're ruined. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of myself for ballparking about 1,400. So, you know, we have different standards, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> but but yeah, so it was it was this very specific thing. And the most recent one brought you to modern day, which made sense for Chronicles of Darkness. Right. Because you're, you're generally playing in modern day. Um, and we just thought it would be fun if mummies kind of weren't bound to progress through time in a linear fashion because you could have a, a, a chronicle that you're playing where maybe two of you are playing mummies and three of you are playing cultists and you can play different cultists in different time periods waking up the same mummy um members of, of of the same cult um or you can play a group of mummies that wake up and kind of find each other and go wait i know you why do i know you oh my god they all have the same you know symbol on our hand like what's up mm-hmm. with that this is weird uh because that's always kind of a fun conceit in like movies and right. and and tv shows when it's like we're obviously all supposed to be here why are we supposed to be here who are we what's going on and that can be a very cool horror device and that can also be a very cool mystery device um and since at its heart like matthew said this game has a has a very big mystery theme but it's still also a horror game uh that's very cool because like you you like wake up <clears throat> pardon me there's four other people you wake up someone's hunting you oh my god why you know also where yeah. are we like are we in you know 1363 paris i've never been here before this is weird um, and then later on, you might kind of go like, wait, I remember a thing called a computer. That that doesn't exist. <laughs> and that's also kind of horrific, is like not really knowing what's in your brain or yeah. what these things could possibly mean. Because without the context of modern day, without having all your memories back, th- thinking about things like planes and cars and computers can also be very, you know, strange and disorienting. 
Oh yeah, it, it, it kind of threads two loops, if that's the phrase, for me. Uh, the first of which is the experience conundrum. So this is a system issue, I guess. I consider it a system issue. I'm sure a lot of people don't care. Uh, in the first edition of Mummy, when you first create your characters in 2012, which is, I, I believe, the when first edition right. of Mummy was written, if not released, mm-hmm. uh, the... Uh, idea is you create starting level characters to use that lovely D&D term and that makes very little sense because at the bare minimum your characters have woken up four times every 1,461 years since mummies were first created when Sothis Mm -hmm. is high in the sky and Mercury is in alignment with Uranus etc now the problem with that is why yeah why why are you only starting level characters if you've existed for this long surely that makes no sense because then if someone wakes you up three months later your cult wakes you up you're still just barely starting level characters with starting level experience it makes sense if you see mummy purely as a narrative game and you don't care too much about system but Mm -hmm. a lot of people do it's a chronicles of darkness game it still uses the chronicles of darkness system so being able to say that they exist out of linear time is a good way of uh, cutting through that knot i think you can quite easily justify that yes 2019 or 2020 is the first time your mummy has woken up since first becoming a mummy That is why Mm -hmm. you're a starting level character. The next time you wake up in 1666, while London is burning down around you, you're slightly more powerful than that. And then you jump forward again to the French Revolution and you're slightly more powerful still because experience is tied to your consciousness and not your body. Now, the other thing that I feel it solves is... um, Actually, I guess there's another two things, but one is I really (laughs) wanted a game that ties into dark eras Mm -hmm. Uh, i I love the dark eras books and this isn't driven by marketing or anything like this (laughs) i think that having more reason to engage with historical eras from the chronicles of darkness that have been written lovingly but some people may not have read because this era deals with skin changes and i'm not interested in that or this uh, this era deals with uh, prometheans and i'm not interested in that well now we have a whole raft of chronicles of darkness books that have uh, tools for you for mummy you don't have to use all of the werewolves from it but you already have locations and events and eras that you can exploit oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, have... and, and npcs for like every yeah, character exactly you have pre-made settings that you are now encouraged to use in mummy just by design of of mummy and since we sell a lot of the Dark Eras chapters individually on drive-thru, that's not even something that you have to buy, like, the whole book and the whole companion and then the whole Dark Eras too. if you want to, like, run, you know, one adventure. There are plenty of chapters that we sell as, like, an individual small PDF. Mm-hmm. So if all you want is, you know, the $2, I don't know, Roanoke chapter, you can get that. Yeah. And the, the the other one, the third one, and this is, I guess, the setting reason, uh, something that I think is really impactful, if that's a word. Uh, I don't think it is. It is a word. It is a word. It is what it that's damn very well much is a word. now. Yeah. <laughs> See, it always comes up with a squiggly red line underneath it when I write it, but I like it. Because impactful. I, weird. Yeah, impactful. Yeah, I, I don't think the British like it. Mm. <laughs> well, something I find impactful uh is the idea of, as Dixie described, let's say you are running around in Byzantine Constantinople. Like you do. And, yeah, 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 I often run around. Yeah, run around the Hippodrome. And when I'm not in my chariot. And (laughs) (laughs) I've lost my chariot, so I'll just run around it. I'm sure I'll get the same benefit. (laughs) Um, I'm an immortal mummy. (laughs) What can't I do? Uh is that let's say you've been around in the uh, in Constantinople for six months, seven months, and your memory is starting to recover, and all of a sudden you remember uh, you remember soldering, you remember the smell of soldering, you remember the circuit board, you remember how to program a computer. Now that doesn't help you a great deal because most of the uh, devices, uh, the fact that you're not going to be get, uh, mining aluminium or aluminium to our American listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the ground uh, probably doesn't help that kind of thing but 
you remember it, and you can tell your cults these kinds of things. Now, how much you want uh, time to be, I guess, malleable in your game of Mummy is between the players and the storyteller, but let's say you tell your burgeoning cult in 560 CE about this wonderful device that you have encountered at a time far beyond, known as the computer. Those people aren't going to be able to invent the computer because they don't have the technology to do it. But they may well, if they pass this tale on, be at the forefront of computer design when it comes out. When that kind of thing, when technology catches up with your knowledge. Which means you are essentially preparing your cults ahead of technological revolution so that your cults benefit. So there is a, I guess, double benefit to following the mummy. Yes, you get the raw power of following an immortal. But you also gain the material benefit, the influence of following someone who knows these secrets, these piecemeal fragments of what is going to happen in the future. Whether it's as simple as I know who's going to win the Kentucky Derby all the way through to, yeah, how to program the first Commodore 64. I really like how this could go from like a pretty serious thing where, you know, your your cult ends up all powerful in the future because they all, you know went and Invest did all that early Apple. computer stuff as an apple but it can mm. also turn into a good omen style agnes nutter book full of just random prophecies mm -hmm. yeah yeah definitely and the good thing is when the mummy next wake up wakes up and they see that book again they're not going to remember what what does this prophecy even mean why did i write it like this why was yeah. i so opaque yeah exactly <laughs> i have no idea what's going on right now i don't even know my name it's actually good you mentioned Good Omens. I was thinking there's definitely a Good Omens vibe, but also um, a lot of kind of Doctor Who timey wimeyness in terms of, mm -hmm. yep. uh, um, it, it, you know, I woke up in the modern day and then I go back. And so I know what happened before, but then when the cult catches up to me, I won't know what this conversation happened kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a science fiction element whenever you introduce time travel. And as, again, Dixie mentioned, it's not just mystery, it's horror. And so when developing this book and encouraging writers to write, something I had to emphasize to a few of them was, remember Memento. Keep your mind on, yeah. on Memento. Keep your mind on the time machine, the novel. The fact that these things are not always good and in a movie like memento which is a, which is a fantastic piece of storytelling essentially about a mummy in the modern era who has such poor memory that they're forgetting everything every five minutes and so are tattooing their body with with clues to help themselves mm -hmm. um i think you can make that memory loss utterly tragic uh, utterly terrifying and from from a purely relatable standpoint, I think most people have had a relative or they've known someone that has suffered memory loss uh, in their generally in their older age, mm -hmm. and it's something that is. It's, it, there are few conditions more frightening than the idea of loss of identity, the idea that you no longer remember the person you love, or this wonderful thing that you did. Uh, let alone the conversation you had five minutes ago. Mm. And most of us have been touched by something like that. And it's uh, yeah, it's horrifying to experience. And so it's one of those sensitive things, playing with uh, that kind of thing as a mummy, especially if in the most recent session you had declared your love for someone who you've just been playing, uh, in. well, you've been running through a story with for the last three months, then you descend, the next time you wake up, you're presented with their face and you don't remember them at all. Yeah, it's similar kind of horror even to what we talked about for Dystopia Rising, Eddie, with the whole, like, you know. Oh, yeah. Every time you die and go to the grave mine, it can take away some of your memories or it can take away some of your personality or what have you. And it's 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 that similar kind of horror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in DR, it's definitely more of the, the emotional bonds. So it's like you remember saying yeah. them, but you just don't feel the same way. Whereas this sounds like it's just the, oh, who are you again? Um, kind right. of horror. So for the other person, it's probably more horrifying, but that's you know mm, kind of the point. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. It sounds like what you guys have done have taken um, the the time component, which is pretty firmly just a background detail in Core Mummy, and now made it into an actual gameable, interesting, experiential component. I hope so. <laughs> and one piece of that you mentioned, you mentioned actually in your your discussion um, was the idea that the cults kind of 
to a certain degree acts like uh, a memory bank. It's like, you know, when I wake up at 300 years, I need you guys to tell me block kind of stuff. Um, is, there, is, there, is there other stuff the cult does? The other kind of things the cult has a relationship with the mummy about in this game? Cults can do all kinds of things. <laughs> uh, Matthew can probably enumerate them more, but uh, cults cults are very tied to their mummies, for the most part. Yeah, we've uh, we've taken some inspiration, and hell, we've uh, fully pillaged some parts from Geist the Sin Eaters because they handle cults wonderfully in that game. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, at at their most basic, the cults are servants, if not slaves, to their mummies. And uh, that means that they do act as a memory bank, they act as your resource pool, and they will protect your tomb while you're sleeping. But hundreds of years is a very long time for an organization to stay static and believe Mm -hmm. in what they are protecting. As soon as a couple of generations have passed and no one has seen you rise from your grave, are the next people in line really going to consider these things as strongly as the last so there's again inbuilt tragedy there from a player's perspective you may invest everything in making sure your cult is strong and yes what you do is make your cult incredibly strong to the point that when you descend and a couple of generations pass they are so independent that they just completely forget you your name may may well form the basis of their company that they form uh, and and the resources that you encourage them to build may indeed make them multi-millionaires but they don't remember you until you wake up again so cults can be antagonistic as well as supportive you can play cultists in mummy uh, it's simply using the chronicles of darkness rules to create a mortal although there's some merits that play into it as well but one of the most exciting things about cults in second edition is that they are tiered and there's again a mechanical reason for this but there's also a setting reason um those tiers being at the lowest level you have mortal cultists Mm -hmm. the next level up you have sekem sorcerers sekem is the life force that mummies are essentially powered by uh, your manner, if you like. Uh, the third tier are other immortals, such as blood bathers, body thieves, the Eternals. These are all creatures that were in World of Darkness Immortals for mm-hmm. the first edition of Chronicles of Darkness, or New World of Darkness. And subsequent to that, you have Sadiq. Sadiq are, I guess, your mummy ghouls. They rise and fall with the mummy, but they remember everything, and so they are the best kind of chaperone and guide and very unlikely to betray you because their lives are innately linked to yours if you die they die Mm -hmm. Uh, so they have these tiers because there's also mechanical ways you can invest your powers in these cultists Uh, whether that's because you want to make them walking phylacteries should you be destroyed and want to come back in their body you can do that but you can also Mm -hmm. invest them with your powers so that they can use those powers and so you can make mere mortals suddenly share in your godlike power at least for a time it doesn't have a cult of a much wider thing and, and it uh, i i had remember i remember discussion but i've forgotten so you just mentioned it the whole taking the other immortals material and kind of making this a stealth second edition of the immortals book as well yeah um, what, what, what about that just kind of a <laughs> hey this stuff isn't being used anywhere we want to use it or was it was there another reason uh, why you thought that material worked well there are a couple of reasons uh i know what one of them the one that I always like think about because it's something that I, I was pushing for in, in early discussions was that in in early discussions we didn't really have a good way to let people play any kind of person they wanted. Okay. Like you were kind of locked mm. into being a person from Duat. All right. Um, in first edition, like that's just kind of how it is. Like usually a dude, guy from Duat. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's that's all well and good, but not everybody wants to play that person. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wanted to give there a way for for people to play people from other cultures, um, and and other you know shapes and sizes and and eye colors and hair colors and what have you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we we threw around the idea of other kinds of mummies, and that's definitely something that I know first edition thought about too, and decided against. And then we yep. thought about it and decided against it for similar reasons, because mm-hmm. like you know bog bog mummies aren't really the same as Egyptian style mummies, right? Like it's not a ritual preservation quite as much. Um, and so we didn't want to do that. So instead, we wanted to bring in the cultists so you could play as them. 
um, because I think that's a fun party dynamic. Yeah. Uh, but also we wanted to bring in a way for you to put your mummy into other people. So like if you're a cult and you have these canopic jars and you have these organs, you can essentially transplant them into a modern college student who's oh, willing, wow. you know? Uh, and that, that gave us a way to make mummies kind of look like anybody. Uh-huh. Um, but that's that's part of why the immortals got brought in was because we, we were talking about other kinds of mummies. And at one point we said like, oh, these, these immortals, we, we, we don't want to make them the same level as the mummies themselves. So let's make them part of the cult thing. But people, you know, yeah. So it, it kind of went all over the place there. Matthew, I know, was really interested in them from the outset. So Yeah, I uh, incorporated them to a minor degree in the Dark Era's Companion in mm-hmm. the in the chapter I co-wrote and co-developed the uh, Fall of Isarion, which was a Cleopatra era. Mm-hmm. I remember and that's that. Because I edited that. I, I, yes, you did. And in <laughs> fact, that's where I introduced uh, the Sekem Sorcerers because they were a pretty much a throwaway line in Mummy the Curse First Edition. And some people are going to hate the fact that I say that, but they had never been developed in first edition. And I'd spoken to the developer of first edition at the time, and we had talked about when when are these sorcerers actually going to show up. And there was never really a good vehicle for them. But Dark Era's Companion was just about the last book we were going to do for first edition Mummy. Well, that had any first edition Mummy content in it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I'm going to put them in here. I've thought of a good plot reason for them to show up. And then I had some extra word count because I think a backer of the Kickstarter had decided to add 10,000 words to that chapter. So I thought, "Ah, here's the Immortals. We'll add them too. (laughs) There's some Bloodbathers. Allow me to do some, uh, to ask Mike Cheney to commission some fantastic art of uh, of bloodbathing, which I always love being depicted. But anyway. Um, one of the, so I'm very conscious when it comes to new editions of giving, not just giving them a new paint of coat. I don't just want them to look. Paint of coat. Yes. I don't just want, yes. I don't just want (laughs) them to be a rules update with the same setting. Right. Right. And, uh, and I, I would say Chronicles of Darkness has done a wonderful job with second editions, uh, making each game new. But some have done them in, I guess, conservative ways, sticking to the core concepts of the game. Some have really expanded those concepts and made them whole new approaches. I put something like Wealth of the Forsaken, for instance, on the, the, the second side of things. I think it's a completely different game to play than first edition, at mm-hmm. least from my perspective as a mm-hmm. player and a storyteller. Uh, whereas Promethean, uh, which I love... Uh, uh, is still Promethean the created. Uh, some of the punishing aspects of playing a Promethean are measured in second edition, but it is still very much Promethean the created. Mummy the Curse, I really wanted to push into being a complete expansion and seeing a new aspect of Mummy. And one of the best ways of doing this that I could think of was by incorporating Immortals. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan of World of Darkness Immortals, the book. It was, I remember, horrifying at the time. I remember there was a little bit of controversy surrounding it, in fact, when it was released. And I loved the book. Uh, I think it's incredibly well written. And I thought, well, these these uh, dudes and dudettes have never shown up in, in Chronicles of Darkness in any meaningful way. And they are a perfect fit for Mummy the Curse. So let's not have ghosts and spirits in Mummy. Because Mummy the Curse First Edition had quite a lot about ghosts. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. They are necromancy, essentially. They're walking necromancers. But... So much of Chronicles of Darkness has ghosts and spirits. In fact, most of the core rulebooks have ephemeral entities rules in as a default. And I didn't see the need for that necessarily with Mummy. I thought, let's point it in a different direction. Let's point it at what is tangible. And for a Mummy, a very tangible foe or friend is another immortal. 
so we ended up dedicating Word Count to Immortals to Sekem Sorcerers to the judges taken avatar form and the judges are alien godlike creatures that may or may not be responsible for your creation uh, and that doesn't mean we won't deal with ghosts and, and spirits in a follow up book but I really wanted Mummy the Cursed Second Edition to read differently to First Edition to feel like there was still something to be gained if you were a fan of First Ed by buying Second Ed. You would basically be reading a new take on the game without it feeling like a completely uh, divergent take on Mummy the Curse. So Immortals were a good way of, of doing that, I thought, because they just didn't really show up in First Edition. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. I dig it. And uh, you mentioned in passing uh, a necromancy, so I think it's a good kind of segue into the fact that we've talked for half an hour and not talked about what cool powers mummies get. So let's talk about what cool powers mummies get. Well, mummies are equipped with powers known as affinities and utterances. And at the simplest, affinities are very passive powers that will stick with you no matter what. They'll change the world around you based on which affinities your mummy has. Uh, affinities tend to be linked to the guild to which you're a member and your decree, which is uh, in part... If, if you're at all familiar with the idea of ancient Egyptian myth and the, the body and essentially soul being comprised of five separate components or pillars, mm -hmm. and those pillars make up a mummy in Mummy the Curse as well, those pillars will be at varying ratings, and for the most part, your strongest pillar is your decree. That's not always the case, but it will help define, I guess, the overarching, overriding emotion that your mummy will feel. That, that's a real simple version of what a decree is. Those will impact the affinities you have access to. Now, the utterances are godlike utterances. They are the ability to yank meteors from the sky and throw them down at your foes. Oh, They're wow. the ability to, to spit forth swarms of carnivorous scarabs. They are the ability to bring down storms and lay waste to entire cities. At least when you first wake up. Because this is the wonderful thing, I think, about Mummy the Curse, the thing that really drew me into it in first edition and has gone unchanged, for the most part, in second edition, is when you wake up, you are almost gods. You wake up and you can do these um, meteorite showers at your beck and call, but you don't know anything, really. Your memory is often fragile. And as your memory increases... And the two aren't intrinsically linked, but they, they do exist, I guess, on a sliding scale. As your memory increases, your sekem, your power, decreases. So your ability to pull meteors turns more into the ability to affect the weather, and eventually it's just the ability to, uh, let's say, study the stars to um, make up some examples on the spot. But your memory, your knowledge, has increased. So Mummy the Curse is an inversion of the typical role-playing game of power growth, of creep, if you like. Mm -hmm. uh, you start off as powerful as you will ever be, but as lost as you will ever be. Uh, and by the end of it, you are hopefully found. You know what your purpose is. You know what you love, what you hate, why you are doing what you are doing. But you no longer have the, I guess, temporal power to actually carry out your will. Now, that could get quite repetitive, it's a wonderful conceit the first time it happens. Uh, but there are such fantastic stories you can tell with that, uh, such as the point at which you know everything is when you are hastily writing down your epitaph, you are hastily educating your cult, you're saying, when I next wake, you need to tell me this, 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 because I don't want to have to spend months, maybe years, learning all of this again. Right. Uh, you're going to make sure I don't fall into conflict with this person yet again, because every single time I wake, I'm falling into contact with this uh, conflict with this person. The reason I'm falling into conflict with them is our emotional bond. He was my brother in Irem, in the name empire and I can tell that we have this emotional bond but it only ever locks into place when I'm reaching this point in my memory so stop tying me to this loom of fate and then you descend and you hope that your cult find suitable ways to educate you the next time you wake up that you don't just destroy them that your cult isn't destroyed itself in the interim 
but there's also a sense of imprisonment in Mummy that you are doomed to repeat things. That just like someone with memory loss, you will walk the same route around your kitchen a few times <laughs> in a morning because you forgot why you even entered the kitchen. <laughs> and, I don't have uh, memory it, loss and I still do that. <laughs> Maybe you forgot that you had memory loss. You just like open the fridge and you just like stare at it and you're like, why am I here? And that's where you end up putting your phone. <laughs> so, so, so Mommy the Curse is about looking at your fridge forever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think that can be the back cover text. I'm glad you wrote it. I, I had no idea what I was going to write. We'll, we'll put that as a quote on the front cover, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From, this from this game is like staring at a fridge. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, but I'm actually glad you guys kept that because that was one thing I remember when I was talking with the developer in first edition was um, uh, the, the, the inversion of power actually does actually explain a lot of mummy movies and fiction um, because inevitably when the mummy wakes up at first it's a terrifying force but then for some reason two and a half hours later Brendan Fraser can easily take it out um, <laughs> and, and so it allows you to actually kind of explain why is this the case oh it's because actually are losing their ability to, 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 to engage with it um, because their power is decreasing but the time travel thing now adds an interesting twist to that because one of the things I thought was a, a a stumbling block with first issue is that what happens when you run out? It's like, oh, well, I guess I'm done playing. <laughs> you know? I'm yeah. sleep, yeah. you know, but it's the modern day, so now what? But with the time travel thing, you're right. You can kind of bounce around a bit, and it's like the idea that you go from ten to one isn't necessarily a, a failure. It's the okay, that just means that I, I stop playing in this era for a time. But also, it it provides that tension. Um, we've we've talked before about the board game Time Stories. Yeah, yeah, which has mm -hmm. you know a ticking clock the whole time you're playing and if it gets to the bottom a couple times you're you you fail mm. um and that's kind of something that i think should always be in the background of a mummy chronicle maybe not like over a single session obviously but over several sessions it should be kind of like okay you're getting closer to the point where you you have to go back to sleep um so how much are you going to accomplish what are you going to do what are the more important things who are the important people to save you know mm -hmm. Uh, which, yeah. I, which I think is, is really fascinating. And also speaking to Matthew's point about, you know, trying to frantically tell them everything. What's what's interesting about that, too, is that when you wake up again, what if you wake up out of order and you don't have one that came with you? Then you're talking mm -hmm. to their ancestors. They right. don't know you told them these things. Um, exactly. Or if you uh, wake up in the future and they don't do that, you won't know for a long time. Like you might not know somebody betrayed you for months. And then suddenly you remember that you told them to do this thing and they didn't do it. And you're like, oh, no, I've been working alongside them for seven months and now I want to kill them. Well, actually, so the question mm -hmm. is, um, does that mean that these characters you have these motion bonds to, are they traveling at the same structure you are? Or is it more like Time Traveler's Wife where they might be in a different place in your relationship than you are each time you wake up? Uh, they will be at a different place, okay. uh, although you can take... Uh, so, so Duat is the land of the dead. It's where you go whenever you sleep, mm -hmm. essentially. And you can. There are ways of taking people with you. I'm not saying it's there's necessarily nice ways. Uh, if you go with the old idea of some pharaohs like their servants to be entombed with them so they can keep them company on the roof, <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of the, the same idea. So yeah, you can take these poor bastards with you and they may well come back with you in, in some manner uh, or other. Um, it, it's not easy by any means. So you can do that. But yeah, there's nothing stopping you from the next Chronicle you play being prior to the last one, chronologically, uh, or indeed subsequent to. Or if you want to be caught in a time loop, revisiting the exact same era. Oh, really? And mm -hmm. meeting the same people again. We, we haven't detailed it at length but the idea isn't so much that mummies are time travelers it's that they exist at all points in time at the same time right so you're just playing like a slice of what they're experiencing mm. essentially yeah uh, exactly you you aren't really there and so the i know that's a bit of a woolly term to use but it, again it calls into question is anything you are doing actually having an effect and if you want to be particularly nihilistic about it when you're playing it or running it, you can say no. And the ultimate uh, realization when you get to the end of your chronicle is nothing I have done has been worthwhile. For some groups, that's a fantastic body blow. You know, you get to the mm -hmm. end of it and you think, Phew, good, 
grief we went through all of that and nothing has changed for others that's not what you want so that's a question knowing your group uh, but when it comes to oh in fact i will spoil if anyone from red moon role-playing is listening to this don't listen to this part for the next couple of minutes because <laughs> i'll be talking about the chronicle i'm running for them of mummy second edition <laughs> uh the chronicle is starting in the era of the french revolution or the reign of terror which is one of our dark eras two eras uh, that has mummy the curse and i decided i'd utilize that True. And the game will jump to Second World War era Paris. So it's staying in Paris, but it's going from late 18th century through to mid 20th century. And one of their servants, one of their cultists, betrays the mummies at the beginning of the game uh, in the Reign of Terror in exchange for immortality. This cultist desperately wants immortality but mummies can't really convey immortality this is the thing a lot of immortals are jealous of what they consider mummies perfect form uh-huh. of of immortality and all forms of immortality in chronicles of darkness are of course flawed otherwise it wouldn't be a horror game right. but no other immortal has the raw power that a mummy does when they wake up so you know they're, they're jealous and hungry but that results in a cultist going to one of these other strains of immortals and saying i want what you have and i can get you my mummy's relics in exchange for that power and so the betrayal happens the relics are passed over to this blood bather and the mummies slip into their descent because they failed their judges, their gods, and their judges basically say, well, if you've lost your holy relics, we have no use for you in this era at this point. So down they go to sleep. Yep. They will wake up again in the Second World War in Paris, and they will meet their cultist again, the one that betrayed them, because since that time they have become a bloodbather, and they've done very well for themselves in Paris. And that bloodbather will know the mummies because they have operated chronologically. The immortals aren't jumping around in time. But the mummies are going to take some time to realize that their betrayer is who they were, I guess, back when they first met. Uh, so, So that could lead to some interesting story. I think that that time travel side of horror is so rarely exploited. And I think, yeah, we could we'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, it's actually uh, a good segue into something I've been wondering about is is that, in my experience, storytelling time travel can be really, really hard um, because a lot of uh, uh, intricate time travel fiction involves seeding things early on that then get paid off much, much later. And you can't really rely on, on players to do that. Like Memento is actually a good example. It's like, you know, you, you, this person's covered in tattoos and then throughout the movie, you start to learn why each of those tattoos were created and what they're referencing. And, and each time gives you a new perspective on what you thought was going on. Um, that's something that can be very tricky to do in tabletop games. So if you guys thought about um, um, giving storyteller advice on how you can handle that, or is it kind of just a, generally you're moving forward, but you bounce back occasionally. Um, how, how, how much help do storytellers get to try to, do this well. Uh, you got a couple of decent chunks of the book that are dedicated to that okay. very concept, really, uh, and it is hard. And you can you can handle time travel in basically two different ways. You can get into the nitty gritty of Memento, where everything is planned, everything is chronicled, and everything has meaning. Or you can be Doctor Who, and you can play it as time is wibbly and wobbly, and that means sometimes things have no meaning, there is no real causal effect of, you know, you're doing this now, so this is guaranteed to be the case three chronicles away from now. Mm -hmm. Uh, The good thing is, I don't really want to use the word term hand wave, but the storyteller can make certain judgments and judgment is probably the best term in fact uh to explain why something you have done hasn't had an effect or why it's not impacting you now and that's because of the judges they are these deities that are floating around that are observing you that are rewarding you with sechem when you serve them when they're taking that sechem away when you don't and potentially robbing you of memories too So you have an inbuilt, in-universe reason for why time travel may not always make sense. So it's a literal deus ex machina. 
Yeah, it's 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 a similar kind of thing that you can do when you're running, let's say, you know, Demon the Descent or or Changeling the Lost, even if you're doing adventures where you're in the hedge, um, because mm-hmm. the 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 true fae are alien, unknowable beings that don't make any sense to us. And the judges of Duat are kind of the same, where, Mm. I mean, if you look at the description of them in first edition, it's like, this one's a giant floating ball of flames with eyeball tentacles everywhere. Like, it's it's, it's not, they're not logical, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, these aren't Egyptian gods. Yeah, they're not human logical. Because, yeah, we're not talking, oh, the judges are Anubis and Set and what have you. These are, these are the... How many are there? If I get the number wrong, someone's going to get mad at me. Is it 46? I think it's 42. 42. See, there's numbers. I don't know. But there's a bunch of judges of Duat, and um, they are are ineffable beings. So you might think you did everything right, but maybe you got the message wrong, or maybe the judge just didn't like the way you did it, or maybe they were hoping you would do something else because they wanted you to surprise them. And since you didn't do that, uh, they are now like, eh, well, he failed me again, you know. So it's basically Doctor Doom is a micromanager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Doctor Doom can be reasoned with occasionally. Doctor Doom toots uh, when he pleases. Exactly. <laughs> Damn right he does. Uh, do not toot that. Um, now, something I particularly love about the judges is again going back to the idea of mystery. The fact that Anpu, being Anubis is in Mummy the Curse. Mm-hmm. When you travel down to Duat, you pass through your various trials, you go through the Land of the Dead, you can be greeted by Anubis, essentially, and be judged because you are dead uh, or deathless. And that means the gods of your empire, the Nameless Empire, do exist... But then that calls into question, what the hell are the judges? Because these things act as deities for mummies, but they are not deities. They are not necessarily the creatures that gave you immortality in the first place. I mean, to dive into mummy metalore, which we don't focus on too much in 2nd edition, the sorcerer priests of Irem, the Shanayatu, or the uh, individuals who created this massive necromantic ritual that elevated them to godhood, and it required your sacrifice and your eternal servitude. And so that is how you became a mummy. Not that your mummies are likely to remember that off the bat. Mm-hmm. But they are still not the judges. The Shanayatu did not turn into the judges unless it's something to do with the time aspect. And that eventually they became the judges. And because the judges, just like the mummies, exist at all points in time, the Shanayatu were the judges at the same time as they were the Shanayatu. And the judges therefore existed before the right of return was enacted, because eventually it was enacted and it made them into the judges, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but that's time travel for you. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, again, it's a mystery to be solved. So that means, yes, your games can be as grounded as you like in in murder mystery, in romantic mystery, and every other kind of mystery. Uh, But they can also dive into the setting mystery. Uh, And that's where, when I'm running Mummy the Curse, I often make the judges the same as the Idagam from Werewolf the Forsaken. I I pretty much, if if I am crossing over Werewolf and and Mummy, have the two make the realisation that these creatures may actually be the same thing. So what does that mean about us? Mm-hmm. Interesting, and uh, and it's something you can easily do with Beast of the Primordial as well, with some of their uh, metaphysical concepts. Uh, the, there's a few games for Chronicles of Darkness, and as Dixie said, Changing Lost, where you have these uh, otherworldly godlike beings that aren't necessarily gods per se, but they certainly are godlike. Mm-hmm. Are they connected? Do they exist within their own world? Do they have contact with each other? And I've I've always enjoyed, I know I mentioned it on another episode, I've always enjoyed that, what if this character from season one of Farscape encountered this character from season four of Farscape? Mm -hmm. It's the, what happens when Skeletor meets Hordak? Uh, 
what what happens if um, if low level thug villain who was introduced when this when this series was really mundane meets up with cosmic villain, but they never do because that character was killed off. Uh, I love the idea of what happens. What do the Itagam think of the judges? What do the insatiable think of the true Fae? That kind of thing again tying into Contagion Chronicle in a lot of ways is the kind of thing I love to spend far too long mulling over because in a lot of ways they should not exist in a compatible world but they clearly do uh, in a much better way than they do in World of Darkness. Yeah, I think one thing that I like about the the Truve and the judges and what what have you is that we don't ever really define their powers either Mm because they're just these strange beings that judge you um so for all you know you know the person you talk to in the shop could have actually been a judge in disguise we don't know we don't know what they can do can they come to earth and put on human suits i don't know maybe you know can they are they restricted to do out to float around forever maybe maybe they can't actually come to earth they can send a projection of themselves or put their consciousness in somebody else Ah, sure so that's really up to you know storyteller creativity um, just how much they want to involve the kind of cosmic scale stuff in with the uh, more street level play. That sounds really cool. So it sounds like you can slide around between like cryptic messages that just appear out of nowhere all the way to like the Watcher showing up in Fantastic Four saying, you must do this now kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, Fringe is another very good show for that because uh, that starts delving into time travel and alternate dimensions later on. Uh, and in fact, it was something I took inspiration from for Contagion Chronicle, but has uh, some veins that can stretch over into Mummy 2. Uh, the idea of observers. Where did they come from? Why are they in every single scene, these uh, mysterious bald men? Or in the... Uh, TV show, I don't know if either of you watched it, called Travellers, which has recently concluded, where uh, your masters from the future appear as... They they can send their consciousnesses into children, because if they send them into adults, it overloads the adult's mind, and the adult will just die of an immediate brain hemorrhage. But children have enough capacity for imagination, essentially enough uh, intellectual growth, to hold this consciousness before it disappears. And so a child will just approach the protagonist, speak in a very automated voice, and say, you have fallen off of mission, reset to objective, blah, blah, blah. And then the child will flicker and won't remember why they are where they are or what they've just said. Uh, that that kind of, as you say, cryptic messaging can really serve to to fuel a horrific game mm-hmm. and is certainly the kind of thing that fits in well with Mummy. Interesting. So it sounds like it's it's, it's going to be a very, very cool game. Um, uh, we're getting close on time, so uh, if, there's, if there's one thing that uh, we haven't already covered that you think people really need to know before they dive into the Kickstarter? Hmm... Well, I guess it's kind of an objective piece. I, I'm i a big fan of Mummy the Curse first edition. It was the first line I had a paid assignment on. Mm-hmm. And I was deeply in love with the, I guess, the lore of, of Mummy. But at the same time, I'm aware of some of its restrictions. Uh, I think that it isn't the most accessible game. I think it's well-written, but it's not necessarily accessible. Mm-hmm. And I think Mummy's second edition taking that different aspect, that different view of the game, introducing several new themes like this, like the non-linearity, like the different levels of cultists, having immortals in it as well, and I guess having more focus on the personal mystery than the meta plot of the game is really going to expand it to a new audience that's my hope anyway i want people to approach this and think wow i've never actually considered doing this with a game before Mm. and just like all the games i develop i try and put utility in every single sentence it's kind of become a byline now (laughs) but i i do think that mummy is and all credits the writers for this riddled with plot hooks and there should be no real barriers to entry like there were before uh, even something uh, something like what Dixie said about being able to uh, basically you can come from anywhere at this point yes your character originated in the nameless empire just like all mummies mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that has to be your character's persona 
It doesn't have to be how you appear. You can be of any ethnicity, any cultural background, any biological background you so choose at this point, and you don't even have to justify it especially if it's a jump forward in time because there may have been a chronicle that you have not had yet that spans the time between you falling asleep and you waking next so finding out why you are now in the body you are in can be a source of mystery Hmm. but it can also be incredibly satisfying to players who aren't and this is going to be an odd way to end it but first edition had such strong roots in the Nameless Empire, which is uh, as a proto-ancient Egyptian civilization, probably North and East African. Uh, the its expanse is not exactly defined, and that's deliberate. But it means a lot of the language in the game, and a lot of the, I guess, aesthetic of the game falls into that region. Not everyone is comfortable with portraying someone with that background uh, going back 6,000 years. And because it's a hell of a lot, there's a hell of a lot of baggage to have. And yes, memory being low is a good way of addressing that. But when it increases, how much do you pull forward? Well, being able to say that you are whoever you want to be in Mummy takes a leaf out of Demon the Descent's book with Mm -hmm. your cover. And basically gives players freedom to say my mummy chooses not to focus on the time 6,000 years ago when they were still mortal. My mummy does not identify as someone from the Nameless Empire. My mummy loves so much the being that she took on in the 16th century in Mongolia, for Christ's sake, that that is who she is now and there's nothing to say that she can't be mm-hmm. so i think that makes the game a again a whole new entry point for people who may have been put off by the geographical restriction of mummy first edition yeah that's that, that's something that i was pretty adamant about in early planning too just because it was like I want to be able to play a Southeast Asian college student. I want to be able to play an older professor from the Bronx. You know, like, Mm -hmm. you don't want to restrict players too much when it comes to the kind of person they can be. Um, I think that's that's, that's always important. That's that's why we've done as much work as we had, even if you you look at, like, Deviant with, like, disability representation, trying to represent a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of different ages and sizes and, and, and genders and all kinds of people. We have... We tried really, really hard to do that, and so I think Mummy needed it too. Um, it's it's yeah. it's really interesting because, like, just to delve into social stuff for like two seconds, like twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen is a huge jump <laughs> yeah. in terms of social progress. Um, if if nothing else, in just recognizing where we need to be better. Like, if 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 that's all we've gotten from it, then that's that's still a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely something that. I'm I'm glad we're doing, and first edition mummy partially just because of when it was made in 2012 2013 like it just didn't address that quite so much, um, and I'm I'm happy to kind of have it be a little bit more of a sandboxy game when it comes to who you get to play, um, and also where yeah. you get to go because yeah always moving forward the whole starting level characters at you know at six thousand years of existence was a strange thing that we wanted to address because uh, yeah if you're you know, if you spent six thousand years and you've still only got one dot in intellect, what have you been doing? <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> lots and lots of porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you might be uh, an intellectual when it comes to pornography. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> this got real weird all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I'm I'm really excited for mummy. Um, I've seen some of the art that's been coming in already, and it's really good. Mm. Um. So having fun with that. And I think what I want people most to take away is that just because, it, yes, it is Mummy the Curse, it's, it doesn't have to look like a Mummy movie that you've seen. Like, it doesn't right. have to look like every Hammer Horror Mummy film or the Mummy with Brendan Fraser or, you know, any of its 8 million sequels. Um, <laughs> it can look like a lot of Chronicles games where, you know, a diverse group of people wakes up in a place and they don't know where they are. What's going on? Here's a mystery to solve. And I think that's really cool, too. Absolutely, it is. Um, 
Uh, so if people want to check it out, um, by the time this episode drops, uh, it should be live on Kickstarter. Um, so as usual with these recordings, we will estimate exactly how far it is. I'm going to say it's probably, what, $100,000 at this point? $8.2 million. Yeah. $8.2 million? Yeah, at least. At least. Oh, okay, uh, so here's go- this is going to be our, our betting pool this time. <laughs> Uh, so is it, shall we shall we play serious bets or shall we just be silly? Silly. Okay, I think it will have one dollar. Wow! <laughs> uh, in this way, I cannot be disappointed because I can at the very least put two of my own dollars down. There you go. See, it's it's stacking the deck as it were. Yeah, Ma- yeah. Matthew just managed that he could rig the system by putting a five dollar pledge on there. Fuckers! <laughs> <laughs> do it on every Kickstarter. Yeah, same. No, I think it'll do well. Um, you know, it's 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 not it's not Vampire of the Requiem. It's not Exalted. It's not you know the hugest book ever. But yeah. I think that it's I think once people read it, like people that are interested in Chronicles and are interested in kind of a new take on something, I think if you you know back for five dollars, check out the manuscript, see what you think. I think you might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, uh, you, you will not find. And hell, we're maybe sounding a bit critical towards the first edition, but I think every first edition of Chronicles of Darkness had flaws, uh, like every first edition of any game does. Well, hell, every edition of every game does. (laughs) True. But I think, uh, because Dixie and I were co-developing initially, we both worked on the outline, we both studied Mummy the Curse, and we both knew the parts we wanted to change, the parts we wanted to expand or evolve, and all these other lovely words. And, uh, yeah, we, I think, have made a game that is so accessible and so interesting, and the players, sorry, the writers really did some fantastic work in making this game immensely readable. And now I'm going to give a little Easter egg to people before we sign off, Eddie, Uh-oh. if that's all right. Go ahead. Oh, no. mm-hmm. And it's where Dixie and I fucked up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That never happens. So, so oh, we've spent no, a good at least, tw- <laughs> at least 20 minutes of this talking about the timeless aspect. And when Rich asked us, so what kind of chronicle is this going to be because every second edition game for chronicles of darkness is the x chronicle yeah and uh for instance the idagam chronicle the firestorm chronicle uh, this the is chronicle. the timeless chronicle yeah exactly and this is the timeless chronicle and we pitched to him exactly what we've described to you with well, a few changes i guess and all was, all was well with the world, all was lovely. And we even wrote about it in our outline. Of course we did. We wanted the, the writers to know what we were talking yeah, about. During the high-level overview. Be... Like, this this, this this, this will be the Deathless and the Timeless Chronicle, and these are the themes and moods, and you're all out of time, and it's really cool, you know. Mm. And then we assign no word count. <laughs> <laughs> Now, even in the setting chapter, uh, well, the, the I guess, life as a deathless or, or whatever I ended up calling it, uh, the, the there was not even a 2,500-word block on what it is to be timeless. There was just nothing. So I was reviewing the red lines, and I thought, ah, shit, we've got, <laughs> we've got nothing. Uh, and it took until that long uh, through basic stupidity on my part there, uh, to to notice that although everyone in the Slack was talking about it, no one was actually writing about it. And so we had to get some more word count uh, assigned, a fair amount of it, but luckily the book came in slightly under word count at the time, so it kind of made it up. And it was folded in seamlessly, and it has all worked out in the end. But it was a ridiculous thing where the core concept of the game just was absent from the manuscript for it. So I've actually gone through my message history, because you can search your messages, um, and and found it. So February 1st, 2019, 5.30 in the afternoon, my time, which is like 10.30 for Matthew. Uh, he goes, do you know what I think both of us failed to add to the outline? The, the timeless bit. And I was like, oh, oh no, that's, that's kind of important. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm interested to see if the writers have laced that throughout, or if we're going to need to wedge a section in there, or if we're going to need to instruct all writers to add something in finals. Um, and then we said that Red Lives would solve it all. And then I want to point out that you said, you said, 5.33 p.m. that day. I won't tell Rich if you won't. 
<laughs> and I said it works for me. And then you just put it on the podcast. <laughs> well, thankfully, Rich doesn't listen to every single episode. Oh, wait, he absolutely does listen to every oh, single episode. Oh, wait, he absolutely does as soon as they drop. So um, yeah. you have broken your promise to not tell Rich. But it's a really funny story, and it did get resolved, like, no problem. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that was just like... I like that message. Like he's like, do you, do you know what we did an outline? The timeless part, and I'm like, uh, we've been talking about that at every convention. Like every time we've talked about mummy, we've brought that up because <laughs> that's like the that's like one of the coolest new core concepts. And then we just didn't put it in the outline. No one needs yeah. to write it, right? Like right, someone yeah, can write just, it in just, the future. Just, just imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, if oh, no. people wanted to talk to you about uh, timeless word content and where, where where it went to, Matthew, where would they find you online? Uh, they wouldn't, because I'm now going to be in hiding from Rich <laughs> on the run. Uh, my webs <laughs> my website will come down. Uh, I'll be on MatthewDawkins.com. You can contact me through there, and I encourage you to do so if there are any games you want to run on the Onyx Path Twitch channel. And Dixie. Find me most social media at Dixie Cyanide. My website is DixieCochran.com. Um, you can also find me in 16th century France with no memory of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me at uh, uh, PuckStudy.com where you can get all my social media accounts through there. Um, you can also find us collectively at theonyxpath.com. Uh, you can leave comments on the blog posts of these episodes. You can hit us up on Twitter at our respective accounts. Um, we have a Discord. You can come hang out with that. Um, we have Facebook pages. Generally, odds are, if you talk about it somewhere, we'll probably stumble across or someone point it out to us. Uh, and we do love hearing from you guys. Um, when you want to tell us what we did right or have some concerns about what we could do better. Um, but uh, as always... Many worlds, one, wait, what was it called? What was it called? Oh, right, Pathcast. <laughs>